Sometimes we feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. In order to feel better about ourselves and live the life we really want to manifest, we have to own up to our difficult feelings and self-sabotaging thoughts and behaviors. We all enter this world naked, and now it's time to feel good naked. No matter what your body size or your life circumstances, this is Feel Good Naked Radio, and your host is Lar Redmond. On this program, Lar will help you become more embodied, self-empowered, and mindful to take charge of whom you really are and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Laura Redmond. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Feel Good Naked Radio. I am your host, Laura Redmond, and I'm really excited about today's topic, which is all about love. The task of true love um, probably gets me more excited than most things because aren't we all on the planet trying to figure out how to do love well, both towards ourselves and others? And I have one of the most popular guests back today, who I will introduce formally in a moment, Dr. Bonnie Comfort, um, who could not be a, uh, there's no better renowned therapist on the planet to talk about love. She is my favorite. She is super uh, respected and loved in the industry, literally, and uh, we get to have her on air today. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Comfort. In case you have missed our other two shows, Bonnie Comfort received her PhD in clinical psychology from the California Graduate Institute, Los Angeles, and completed a postdoctoral fellowship at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. She is licensed as a clinical psychologist psychologist in both California and Oregon, where she has been in private practice for many years, concentrating on treatment of anxiety, depression, marital problems, and life transitions. Dr. Comfort's first fiction novel, Denial, was published in the U.S. by Simon & Schuster in 1995 and translated and published in six foreign countries. She is currently working on a memoir of her 33-year marriage and her recovery from the death of her husband in 2010. Welcome, Dr. Comfort. Welcome. Thank you, Laura. I'm so happy to be back talking with you. I get great feedback after our shows. Many people will write to me and just say that you gave them, uh, it's so funny, they always say, I gained great comfort from Dr. <laughs> comfort. And I always, they, they always think that's a made up name. And I say, no, 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 that is her real name, Dr. Bonnie Comfort. And you do, you bring comfort to many of us through your extraordinary knowledge, your many, many decades in the field. And I love that we're getting into love today. It's it's a topic that I think we are all curious about and wonder about. And um, I thought we could open today just sort of by having you explain to us what happens when we fall in love. Well, it is something that we all seek and we all feel that love will cure our loneliness and the ways in which we feel um, that we have not been loved the way we want to be loved. And so in the early stage of falling in love, people often feel high, almost as if they've taken a drug. They find this person who seems to be a soulmate and who gets them, and you find yourself not able to eat or sleep, 
and you ignore projects you've been working on. You lose weight. You become more physically fit, and you just feel beautiful in this other person's eyes, and that person feels beautiful in your eyes. And you have this thrilling connection. Often it's very sexual, and you uh, may fight a little bit in this early stage of being so in love, but the fights are easy to resolve because there's so much generosity and willingness on each side to get back to that wonderful experience of sexual and emotional union. Mm, yeah, that feeling. I'm tapping into it right now. It's such a yes. high. You're right. It is like a drug. It's this feeling of um, just being electrically charged on the inside and and you can see it in someone's eyes when they first fall in love and you say my god what's going on oh i fell in love and they've got these little beams of light coming out of their eyeballs yeah it is so physical and mental and spiritual and and the embodiment of it which is the word i really enjoy dissecting and unpacking on this show you know what is embodied mean And uh, I think when you're in love in the beginning, embodied is just orgasmic and really just charged, you know, it feels so good. The source of many a love song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. How how wonderful you feel with this other person. Yes, yes, yes. So what is your feeling about um, the timeline of love like what can someone in in the best longevity of that feeling or that best roadmap what is the longest you can imagine or hope that lasts that that really electric yummy part how long does that generally go on for two people well it can last from two to seven years, I would say. And there is always, if you've had that kind of electric connection in the beginning, it's a wonderful benchmark of what is possible between the two of you that you can go back to for many, many years, knowing that 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 foundation is still there, but it doesn't stay that way in the long haul most of the time because... Gradually, over, you know, two to seven years, I'd say, you begin to reveal the essential ways in which you're different from each other and different from how you were in the beginning because you can't sustain a perfect image of yourself. You know, you get tired of wearing your nice clothes and grooming yourself perfectly and being so generous and kind. You're now at home with each other, and you let your guard down, and you relax, and you want to be who you really are, which isn't always uh, pleasing to your partner. The G-string turns into a boxer short. (laughs) You know, that that little bra top becomes a big old T-shirt. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's interesting because when I'm really honest with all the great loves that I've been grateful to have in my life, I'm always a little nervous in that beginning time also, because you know there will be that fall from grace in terms of everything being so agreeable and so lovely and giggle, giggle, lovemaking. And I always get, I remember in, in my journey through love, I haven't had a lot of big loves, but the ones that I've had have been tremendously important to my life. And I always remember thinking as they began, I kind of look forward to it getting more normal because it's going to get normal at some point and we're going to (laughs) start fighting. Yes. Right. Yes, and yes. those fights are 
frightening in the beginning because you don't want to ruin what you hope is secure and solid and that the foundation can handle it. Um, but then the fighting will start. And do you, do you want to help us understand a little bit more about when love turns into fighting, what can we do if it's terrifying to both or either of the people in that new identity with each other? Well, um, you know, we lose at that time. We gradually begin to lose this coveted feeling of being perfectly understood and admired and supported. And we are carrying inside of us our youngest selves as well as our most mature selves. And our young selves have had, all of us, the experience of being overwhelmed by emotion or feeling abandoned. And so in in the early stages when we fight and the fights are awful, it is both of those things happening. We either feel overwhelmed with too much feeling either in within ourselves or somebody else or we care we're terrified that we are going to be abandoned and so we may dig our heels in we may get really angry we may get nasty and that damages the connection and we have to find ways to repair it so but i think there are factors that contribute to why this deterioration begins to happen because We need eventually to learn how to love a flawed and difficult other person and to recognize that we also are flawed and difficult to live with. Um, I had a marital therapist that that I saw doing a lecture said every morning he looks at himself in the mirror and he says, you're not so great either. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's, it's really helpful it's really helpful but we bring into our relationship unspoken assumptions about how the relationship will go and then over time you discover that the things you didn't even think about that you assume don't turn out to be the way you wanted like for example you have an idea about how your partner will treat you when you're sick but it may turn out your partner can't stand it when you're sick so you feel hurt or disappointed or you have a child and you assume that you're kind of in tune about child rearing styles and then these old tapes that play in your head from how your parents did it become the authority beyond the right the authority on the right way to do it and your partner has a completely different authority in his head about how that should go so there's and then you know the what happens is life you um, have a child maybe it's a difficult child and it's very stressful Maybe somebody loses a job, maybe you, you know, uh, get into debt or you have different ideas about where you want to live or your recreational activities and, and you emerge eat from this fog of adoration into, wow, I didn't really know exactly who you were and now I'm not sure I like it. Well, and that's confusing to me because when you get into, I'm not really sure I like it, and then that gets triggered, let's just say, by the child-rearing 
you know, the child rearing reality or, or anything mm-hmm. else for that matter, but you get that fiery experience in the midbrain where you're upset, you're mad, you're disappointed, you're, you're mad in a way that doesn't have a real calm filter. Yes. Are, are you better off just running into another room and closing the door and punching a pillow? I mean, the, the thing that I've never understood with, quote, good fighting is fighting is fighting. It's not pretty. It's not fun. It feels terrible for anyone going through it. But it has to come out in a way in order to settle down and to be more constructive and to move on. But if you always avoid that ugly fight, um, I don't know if you really work out the underbelly of the upset. Different people have different styles of resolving conflict, though. And you're describing one where you feel so overwhelmed with anger and and upset that you have to do something with all those feelings. But if you're with a partner who's like that also and understands that, that's that's one way that you can resolve conflict. You can yell at each other. You both understand that it isn't the, you know, those things you're saying in anger aren't cast in stone. You may make up with passionate love and you're okay again. But if you have one partner who is like that and another partner who's terrified of open conflict and um, finds it terrifying because um, he or she had a a parent who was volatile and angry, and that person learned that the best way to resolve conflict is to avoid it, then you've got a really difficult situation. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, my uh, opinion about that kind of overwhelming rage or anger or upset is do create some distance between you and your partner. Do take time to calm yourself down. Do take time to think it through before you let fly with things said in anger that can never be taken back. And words are very powerful. And if you cannot take back what you said, sometimes your partner will remember it for years, decades even. Hmm. I guess what I'm wondering, though, is... I mean, I'm I'm thinking just personally about those fights that were just terribly brutal in my last love affair. And what I will honestly admit is that part of what was so triggering for me, and I wonder if this is true for a lot of couples, if something is an upset in a dynamic between two people and you go through that first round of unpacking it and dealing with it and you end that terrible challenge with, okay, I understand. Okay, I understand. I love you. Let's go back into our love world. Mm. And it happens again. Mm -hmm. And it happens again. And it happens again. And it is the same fight. It is the same disagreement. It is the same sense of being so misunderstood. And that, you know, what, what do you do when you feel like that beloved is not getting what it is that's triggering you, even though you want to do it less actively or flooding as we say in in a psychological world Mm. you know you don't want to flood you don't want to go to that you know ugly fight but it's the same fight because clearly it's not getting no one's really getting what is happening that's making it continue to happen what do you do well 
There's a number of things that you have to do. Um, One of them is remind yourself that even if your partner heard what is upsetting or painful for you, it doesn't mean that person can change quickly or easily. It's very hard for us to change. It takes a long time and a lot of repetition and years for us to get not just the intellectual piece of it, but to actually be able to choose a different behavior. I mean, it's like learning to play tennis with your non-dominant hand. It just doesn't come easily to your partner to Mm. be different. And so that's one piece of it, the patience it requires to say, okay, you did it again. I want you to hear me. This is really, really painful for me. Try harder. Try again. But the other thing is that we have to learn to take care of our own triggers. We have to remind ourselves that if we came from a home where we felt abandoned, for example, we have to remind ourselves, this is a person, I'm I'm no longer five years old, I can survive without this other person, I may feel abandoned, I may feel disappointed, but that is not the same as really being helpless and naked at the age of five and not being able to survive. So you have to kind of soothe yourself to some extent and find the kernel of your own responsibility in the conflict because it's never entirely one-sided. Well, and that makes me immediately feel better because I think that if you're in that same fight for the 50th time, one thing that can really settle it down is for that other person who's messed up again because they're playing tennis with their non-dominant hand metaphorically. <laughs> if if they can say to the other person, you know, I failed at this again. I do understand this and I want to be accountable for what I'm not getting. I mean, anything that I think just gives that other person the sense that, I'm getting this. It's just taking me a while because it's so foreign to me. And and I think that that alone can settle things down a little bit, even if you mess up and don't do it the way the other person hopes you do. If you dialectically can just say you understand the problem, yeah. even though you failed at doing it the way that would seem as if you, you know, have solved the problem, understanding it and solving it are very different things. But that understanding can calm down, I think, that person who might be having that five-year-old trigger within that same fight. Yes, and explaining, I I hear that this is what you need from me, and I'm going to keep trying, and I want you to understand that doing it this way for you does not come easily to me. I've learned to do things my way for a long time, and I've had really powerful reasons why I've done things my way. So for me to unwind that is going to take work, and I'm going to work at it, and I'm really sorry that I have hurt you this way, but I want you to be patient with me because this is not easy for me. Bonnie, is that sort of what we learn when we're taught to, and this is kind of going back to that five-year-old trigger, talking to your inner child, you know, having a um, something that reminds you that that little person didn't get what they needed, and that has a great deal to do with the underbelly of that fight or trigger, is that the value of then talking to your younger self? 
Absolutely. Well, then, Not only talking to your younger self, but, but in, you know, increasing your empathy for your partner's younger self. So, yes, I mean, you have to be able to say, okay, this, my partner said something to me that really hurt my feelings, um, but that's not the ultimate truth of who I am. I can let that go. That's, that's what she thinks of me right now, or that's what he thinks of me right now. That's not the truth of who I am. And I have to find ways to feel okay about who I am, even in the moment where this other person doesn't like me very much. And so the younger self talk or I've heard people say to get a stuffed animal or to get a little doll or have some symbolism around you that reminds you of that little self or your partner's little self maybe help us a little more with why that's valuable it's valuable because part of what allows us to heal in a relationship is to be able to to grow empathy for yourself and your partner and to know your 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 history and your partner's history so that you understand why those original young feelings developed um so you know you can talk to you can share those things with your partner you can say you know when I was growing up, I really felt like nobody in my family heard me. I had a couple of siblings. They talked louder than me. My parents seemed to admire them more. It's so important that I feel heard by you. And, you know, your partner can say, well, you know, the only way I made any, um, I got any praise in my family was by being really competitive and winning. So, you know, I tend to want to win and I want to be right. And when I say those things to you, it's because that's my young self saying, you know, recognize me, you know, let me know that I'm right. And so you're saying if both people can hear what is at the base of that little person experience, which then affects how they fight, then there's a greater understanding. But the thing I thought about when you were saying that is how does any couple get through life without deep work, therapy, coaching, help? Like, it seems like there's no way through without getting some help. Well, uh, it depends on the couple. There are some fortunate people who have been raised in um, environments in which <clears throat> and they felt to some extent that they were seen, appreciated, loved, and they may have a great deal in common in terms of their background or their values or their life philosophy, and there isn't as much to bridge. The differences aren't as great, and so they don't have to work quite as hard. And maybe they both come from families where you know, calm, respectful dialogue as a way of working out differences is the way they were both raised. I mean, I see a a woman in my practice who's had a 40-year marriage with a partner, and they rarely fight, and they haven't had to see a marital therapist because they both treat each other with respect. They both recognize their autonomy for the other. They both are able to talk through their problems and find center again. And those couples are blessed. And there's Mm -hmm. not that many of them, at least certainly not the ones who come through my office. 
And would you say that those couples are typically high school sweethearts that have been in that, you know, timeline together before things got more complicated and confusing? <laughs> I was early 20s, I would say college sweethearts, sometimes high school, but college sweethearts met and fell in love in their mid, early to mid 20s. Yes. Yes. That's when you are kind of growing together and you're kind of still forming yourselves and you form yourselves around each other and it's it's much more harmonious. Would you say it's also more codependent because you've grown no, up I, together? I, I, no, I wouldn't use that word because codependent implies that you're desperate if you are separated from each other or if you, in those moments when you feel abandoned, that you, um, you know, you, you, you uh, sacrifice yourself in order to smooth conflict. And that, to me, is not really what happens in these couples that are able to love each other well. What happens is that they have more respect for the other person's autonomy, which is the opposite of, of codependent. You know, they can tolerate separations. They can tolerate one partner being out of town for a week or ten days. They can tolerate that one person likes to um, kayak and hike and the other person wants to go to a play or an opera. They, so they tolerate differences and they can leave space enough in between each other um, to to enjoy what's different and tolerate what's different <laughs> that they don't mm. particularly like. I love the idea of autonomy in yeah. a great love affair. Yes. So yeah. help me with this. When do you know? Excuse me. I've got great allergies right now um, yeah. with the with the pollen, all the things that are blooming here yeah. in beautiful Oregon. What when? What would you say are the danger signs that a relationship has started to really deteriorate. Like, help us know when we know there's a real problem as opposed to just a a bad fight. Yes, yes. Um, There are a lot of hallmark signs, and um, maybe the most important one is we begin to show contempt for each other. You know, there is insult, there is eye-rolling, there is um, a lot of criticism of who the other person is, large and small, you know, you... you um, um, don't support, you attack, you blame the other person for whatever's wrong, you know, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't be like this, I can't stand the way you keep a house, you're home too late, you drink too much, you're selfish, you're um, stupid, you're not a man, you're, you know, you're, you've gotten fat. I mean, all these awful things people say to each other are danger signs that the relationship is going down a very bad path. And um, if we, you both feel criticized and unsupported and, re, and in response you attack and blame, you have to interrupt that process or you'll be headed for the divorce court. Mm-hmm. And when there's a lot more negative talk than positive talk, we feel miserable and we want to escape. And so people... You know, and this is often, well, it's true of both men and women. It depends on your style. We shut down and withdraw and freeze the other person out. 
Mm. And we disconnect and we start living very separate lives. You know, maybe, you know, a a woman spends all her time with her girlfriend or a guy spends all his time with his buddies or watching TV or, or, you know, playing tennis. Or, you know, you become vulnerable to having an affair because you're looking for somebody else. And that rush again of feeling understood and supported and accepted, which you're not getting any of at home. So it's the, the, these are um, very fragile and dangerous signs that things are going wrong. And I think interrupting. I was thinking when you were just going through the list how you don't feel respected if you're interrupted a lot. I agree. And I you agree. can hear. <laughs> I you agree. Can always... She said interrupting her host. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, you do. You do note that. Like I remember my maternal grandmother and grandfather, who had a beautiful long-term marriage, and my grandmother was such an an, an entirely large personality. Very, very feisty. Very verbal. Very. Um, well, she was a Leo, and in astrological terms, a lot of people go, oh, okay, she was a Leo. She had that Leo lion energy, and he huh. would sit at the end of the table across from her, and no matter what she would say or do or what sort of tangent she would be on, it was never directed at him. It was always something else, but he would always say, you're right, honey. You're right, oh. honey. You're <laughs> right, honey. And he would just keep eating his dinner, and he would just, you're right, honey. And then she would feel like they they had such a kindness towards Uh each other, but she was Mm -hmm. so outraged by everything else. It was never directed at him. And maybe that was because he always, you're right, honey, and he never Mm -hmm. interrupted her. Um, And and that is a a little bit of a, you know, an old-fashioned example, but it shows that respect and that non-interrupting and allowing her to be this very flower, uh, (laughs) blooming kind of flowery, large personality. And he, I think he really loved that, but he was rather docile and quiet. So -hmm. there was a balance. There was more of a balance that I noted in them. Yeah, yes. And I do think in a long marriage you 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 make your peace with who the other person is and you accept that okay maybe she's a person who just has something bad to say about everything and you I'm just going to give it up to her I'm just going to let her go on about how outrageous everybody else is and everything else is in the world and I'll be okay with it because otherwise I'm engaging with this person who has a lot of negative thoughts and it's going to get turned on me yeah, exactly. I want to go back to what you were saying about, <clears throat> excuse me, the affair danger. Um, because it's interesting. I do think that when your relationship is deteriorating and you're having more negative than positive and you're fighting more than you're loving and you're in separate bedrooms, perhaps, um, which can be healthy for some people as they get more mature, but assuming it's not a healthy reason. There is something to say about the danger zone where all of a sudden you are in that grocery store or you are in that uh, theater and somebody's kind and they look at you with eyes of kindness and they giggle because you say something clever. I do believe there's value in just talking for a moment about being careful that you don't 
push someone into that possibility, whether you're gay or straight or trans, um, because when you're no longer having enough joy or love, there is a danger zone that I'd like you to comment on about when that can be more noted between two people if you're not paying attention. Well, you can only really note it in yourself, and that is when you find yourself looking longingly at somebody else or finding yourself attracted to somebody else, that is your signal that there is something wrong in your connection with your partner. Not that people don't have affairs for many other reasons other than what's wrong in their primary relationship. There are many other reasons, and that's a whole show in itself. So, you know, infidelity is multi-determined, but I want to talk only, uh, since we're talking about a long-term love relationship, I want to talk only about the trigger for interest in somebody else that comes from being so unhappy in your marriage. And when you have that feeling inside of yourself of, gee, you know, that person looks good, or oh, I wish I was with that person, that is a sign that you need to look inside yourself and say, what do I need to do to change my primary relationship rather than giving up on it and going to somebody else. Because I know if I leave this and I go through that intoxicating and wonderful stage again with somebody else, eventually it will get to this again. We must become disillusioned with the people we love and find a way to mature love. So how do we do that? Help us. How do we change that when we're going down that rabbit hole of, man, she or he looks really good. I don't feel loved. I don't feel turned on. I don't feel like he or she is funny anymore. What can I do? What can anyone do to pull themselves back to a place that's not that rabbit hole? So, I mean, that is a moment where you might think, okay, I think we should see a marital therapist so we can talk about these difficult issues in a more neutral setting where it feels safer to do that. That is one thing you can do. But in the process, what you are going to do in a marital therapist's office is begin to practice, for one thing, learning how to listen. And what that means is okay, here's an issue. Let's say um, it's about um, a person who's spending too much time away from home. So the person who is at home and feels kind of abandoned may say, I don't like it that you're away so much. It makes me feel lonely. I'm angry with you. Why don't you come home more? And then it's that person's job to listen to their partner without interruption, without preparing your defense, but listen for the minutes it takes for your partner to say, this is why I'm away from home so much. I don't like it when I come home and this, and, and you're angry with me, or I don't like it when I come home and the house is a total mess. I don't like it when I feel like, you know, you don't like me anymore, any of that. And so the, and then what you have to do as part of listening is repeat back to the person who's been talking what you understand. So, and what that means is you don't just parrot back the words like, okay, 
here's another example. I feel like when I put myself out to make a nice dinner for you, you take it for granted, and then you find some minor flaw in it and tell me that. So when you hear that, you don't just repeat back to your partner, well, uh, you know, I hear you. You said that you, you, you know, you make a nice dinner and I've taken it for granted. No, you want to search for the deeper meaning like, so you might say, okay, I get it now. You're disappointed because you put a lot of effort into this to make it for me, and it feels like I don't appreciate or that you've done it, and I just focus on what's wrong with it. And then that person will say, yes, I feel relieved. You have heard me. So you've not only heard the words, but you've heard the meaning underneath. And I have to tell you, the magic bullet in fixing a marriage is a sincere Apology, a profound apology that explains why you understand how you've hurt the other person. Mm. Oh, no doubt. That just feels so good to hear you say. So let's go back over that because I think it's fair to call. Would you Would you agree? It's like active listening. Yes. Yeah. So. You're in this partnership. This is really important if you're listening. Like, take out a notepad and write this down. Yeah. You've got a partner who's upset, and they're telling you why. And instead of reacting, instead of responding, instead of having a quick back at them, you slow down and you repeat back to them what they're upset about. You don't respond and react. You repeat it back. And you repeat it back with understanding. That, okay, and that's with good too, yes. With understanding and empathy. But I, you try to imagine what it feels like to be your partner in this circumstance. You try to imagine that your partner is a young child who is hurting and wants to be cared for or praised. And you don't defend yourself in that moment. You hear that person. You'll be plenty of time for you to explain your side of it. But if you're preparing your defense, you've stopped listening. Okay, can we role play this? I, I want to do this out <laughs> loud with you. Okay. I, can I be the angry partner? Sure. Okay. Let me think a minute. So let's say let's say you're the partner and you're gone a lot, your example. And I'm home and I've got the kids and I've got the house and I've got all the things that come with that job, that huge job. And you are coming back in from being on the road and you are just sort of unaware of what I've been doing. And then you say something like, oh, I don't really like this for dinner. So I'm going to say, hey, you've been gone. You've been on the road. You haven't been here. Can you just come back into our life together and be here? And all I had time to get today was this food for dinner. And the kids haven't seen you. I haven't seen you. I'm exhausted. You know, how dare you mention the dinner when you've just been out on the road eating in hotels and restaurants while I've been here slaving for our family? You know, honey, I'm so sorry. I didn't really know what it was like for you when I was gone. And I really appreciate all of this stuff that you've done for us at home, how you're looking after the kids, how you have gone to the trouble of making a dinner when you were exhausted. I didn't know you were exhausted. And, and I, I'm, I'm really hearing how 
hard it's been for you that I've been gone and I haven't been able to help you with the kids. I haven't been able to share some of the load of cleaning up the dishes or taking out the garbage. And, um, and I, I'm really sorry I said that to you. Well, thank you. But how could you not know I'm exhausted? Do you not know what this job includes? You know, when you say to me, how could I not know, it makes me feel like you don't understand for me, you don't understand um, what what distracts me from knowing your experience. Um, and it, 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 it sort of leaves me feeling like I'm accused of being insensitive. And I don't think of myself as insensitive. Maybe I've, you know, been so preoccupied or worried about other things. But I do care. And I do want to know what you feel. Well, then I need you to be home more. And I need you to be part of the family more. And I need you to let me know and the kids know that you're really here with us. Uh, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what it would mean for us if I'm home more. Maybe it means that we don't have as much money. You know, maybe it means I can't stay in the job that I'm in, you know, because my boss needs me to, you know, fly with him in his private jet to New York for a meeting. I don't, I'm not sure how to navigate that, but I want us to brainstorm together because I don't want you to feel too alone. I I love you and I want to be with you and I want to figure out how we can do this together. Mm, I love you too. Yeah, that's so much, that's so different than what usually happens because there was one moment in that role play where I said to you, how could you know I'm not exhausted? Yeah. And at that moment, I felt like it was a crossroads where we as that couple could escalate. If yes. if the if the partner didn't say back to me the way you just did, in other words, if there was defensiveness back at me over my exhaustion, then I could see where that could escalate and go nothing nothing good would come out of that conversation. But because, because how could you not know is an attack. Exactly. That's why I used it, because I think that person in that position is just wrought with not feeling seen or or being exhausted. And and oftentimes in this culture, we don't give the value that is deserved to that person that is stuck at home or left at home or chooses to be at home. But the job of running a home and a family is just as big as the CEO of Apple. I mean, it's it's not to be undermined as as a job. Well, absolutely. And I mean, I think the, you know, the whole cultural revolution of women in the 60s was, hey, you know, I haven't, I haven't gotten enough respect. I mean, you know, Aretha Franklin, what I want when I get, when you get home is respect. And, um, and it's, it's an enormous job, but what I see with couples who now are, you know, younger couples who are very savvy about wanting to be equals and wanting to share in responsibilities is that each one feels the other one doesn't get how hard their life is. Mm, that's helpful. That's good. Yeah. And it's so true. they're you each, yeah, they're and each they, crying they out. They get into competition arguments about who's suffering more. Oh, that's so helpful. Yeah, and then all that, that back to that active listening where you can then repeat back to that person slowly and empathetically what it is you understand their suffering is. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. 
That active and, listening, it's yeah. fascinating how much that makes a difference. What were you just well, going to say? It, what I was going to say is in that active listening, you are also exuding respect for the other person's experience. And um, it's so important to feel empathy for your partner, even at moments where you're just furious you have to kind of go away, calm yourself down, come back and say, okay, I, you know, I, I didn't mean to attack you like that. I know that you're trying hard, but, uh, you know, is, this is just really tough for me too. And you take responsibility for your own role in the problem. So if you have any issue that you need to initiate a conversation about, and I'm not talking about when you're just, you know, in a rage, but when you can calm yourself down, and you consciously decide you're going to talk to your partner about an issue, starting by admitting your own role in the problem is very disarming. You don't, you know, the partner doesn't have to defend himself or herself if you begin by saying, "Okay, I know, I know, I've been really difficult. I know I've been hard to live with. I know that I've hurt your feelings, and I, and I want to get past that. I don't want to do that." It, it's relieving. Then the person is more open to listening. And, mm. you know, and you're more able to shift the focus into being consciously kind to each other and appreciating your partner, which is practicing being undefended, hearing your partner and letting go of your rage is, is the process by which you learn to forgive. And being able to forgive your partner... Um, Again and again and again and again. Again and again, yes. You know, in that novel that I wrote, I had one a mother say to an adult daughter, you have to love each other long enough and hard enough to forgive each other for being who you are. And then you can find peace with each other. Mm. But that, that takes a lot of work over a long period of time. And so you have, so those elements of treating each other with respect, not being insulting, and taking responsibility for your own role are critically important in that act of listening. And I just want to repeat what you just said about taking responsibility, because if we took that role, role playing that we just did and the person that was on the road said to the other one, you know, you have no idea how hard I work and you have no idea what it means to earn the money for this family and how dare you act like you're exhausted. Something like, you know, where there's yeah. no taking responsibility for how the dynamic is dualistic. It's both people. It's like a dance, you know? There's this choreography of life together. And then what is your part? What is their part? Taking responsibility for your part so that there can be a sense that you are getting it and you know that it is both of you that is the dance. It's not just the complaining spouse at home or the overworked earning of the money person. It's it's the dual dynamic. And you you want to get to the point where each of you feels that the other one sees your struggle. I mean, we are all pushing a big rock up a steep hill, every one of us. <laughs> And if you, if you're able to say, okay, I know how hard this is for you. I see.
see that I've let you down. I'm sorry for that. I'm struggling myself. Then you are, you know, joining hands and kind of finding a way through the the disappointment. But if you attack the other and you get to that place of feeling like you have no idea what this is like for me, then the response has to be, then tell me, because I really do want to know. Yes. And right there, that's the crossroads between not making it and making it. Because I don't think couples often know to do that. So what ends up happening is the person who's upset feels like they're trying to prove their case to the other person, which then makes it so high-octane, escalated bad when all you want that other person to feel is understanding of your pain or the rock you're pushing up the hill. Yes. yes. And so that's and another And when a couple first key. comes into a marital therapist's office, they want to present their case and have the marital therapist be the judge and declare them the right one. Yeah, yeah. And, and yet if you can just respect each other's perspective, letting the other know that you do and not just silently doing that, there's the active listening tool that turns the whole thing around. Yes, yes, yes. How would you describe what long-term mature love looks like? I know we're covering some of that just within this conversation, but what else would you say is that beautiful, you've made it, you are long-term love, you are with each other through thick and thin, and you're still really enjoying each other, hopefully. What, what else would you say that looks like? Um, you feel that you are now seen and known as you really are and accepted, not for being the perfect other your partner was hoping for, but for being the real quirky you that you really are. Like, for example, you know each other's bodies in a way that's way more intimate than making love in a darkened room. You know, I had a husband say to me, I think my wife might be pregnant again because she gets this blue vein showing in her left breast when she is. I mean, it's so intimate, and it's so feeling known for her. Or she says, he loves it when I stroke his back in a certain way. It just soothes him like a baby. Or he may say, I know when she's on edge because she's got PMS, so I just give her a pass on some of those things she says. And, you know, there's something lovely about being seen in all your stupid or unattractive (laughs) ways and feeling at home with this other person. So there's something lovely about a man who can sit on a sofa in his shorts, a jam stain on his t-shirt, and his hair is all messy from sleep, and know that his wife loves him just like that. Or a woman who can emerge from the bathroom naked, hair dripping, a blemish on her face, a tampon string dangling from her, and her partner smiles and tells her she's cute. Mm. And oh. there's this, you know, there's this deep reward for having loved each other enough to accept each other's quirks and shortcomings. And here's some things I've heard from people who've made it to that stage. Um, she says, my partner knows I'm a big box of crazy, but he, but he puts up with me because we can talk and laugh together for hours. Or my partner is my best friend. We're not hot for each other anymore, and I wish we were, but there's no one I'd rather be with, so I'd never walk away. 
or my partner can fix anything in the house. She's just like MacGyver with a roll of duct tape and a screwdriver, but I have to do the <laughs> cooking. She's burnt enough chicken to feed a village. <laughs> so, so <laughs> and on a personal note, I have to say I was, I was married for 33 years until my husband died, and one day, about 20 years in, I said to him, you know, we get along much better now than we used to, don't you think? And he said, oh, yes, we've just worn each other smooth like stones in a river. (laughs) And I laughed, but it was a good way of saying it. After making it through that fighting stage, you smooth out with each other. You know truths about your partner that just aren't going to change, and you learn how to work around it. You learn to love that person as he is. You, You just make allowances for who that person is. And... That's the true and lasting gift of mature love, to be seen and known as you are without having to put your best foot forward all the time and to have your weird and crazy self viewed through the eyes of affection rather than disdain. You arrive at a place you long to be your whole life in a loving family. Mm. Oh, that just sounds so divine. And it's possible. It is. It's possible. It just has to be that you have to have safety. You have to feel like you're both in it for the long haul. And all these different tools that you've shared are so important to put forth in order to get to that place where you can feel that long-term love. And and I do think safety is a huge part, too, where you just, yes. you, you know that no matter how rough it can get, and it will get, and how large that rock is up that hill, you're going to stick around to figure out what you're here to learn, what both of you are here to learn through that yes. and difficulty. hopefully with humor and affection instead of attack and blame. Exactly, exactly. And and I just want to say for everyone listening, we've been talking a lot in the heterosexual context of man, woman, but this is super helpful and important for all sorts of couples, whether they're gay or bi or trans. I, I think with gay pride being part of the world in this coming month and, and time, it's really good to note that these are tools that work for everybody, no matter what, and they're really worth trying. Yes, that was my intention in saying those things. I tried to say he or she interchangeably because a love relationship, a primary relationship, is between two people who choose to be together. It may be a legal marriage. It may be gay, straight, bi. It doesn't matter. The same issues come up every time. And love is love is love is love is love. (laughs) You know, it's such a beautiful thing, love, and how little time we have on the planet. And my gosh, when we can really focus on the language of love, the task of real love, I just think of that as one of the most precious gifts in this incarnation that any of us are allowed to experience. I think it's really the core thing that makes our lives meaningful. I do, too. I do, too. Now, before we go, I just want others to know that if they wish to reach out to you and to have your counsel, what is the best way to find you? Uh, You can go to the Psychology Today website, psychologytoday.com, and type in my name, and my page will pop up, and you can send me an email or phone the number on the webpage. And you work with people on the phone or through Skype or other ways if they can't be in Portland, Oregon? 
I can work with people on Skype in Oregon and California where I'm licensed as a psychologist. I'm not at this time allowed to work uh, on Skype in states where I'm not licensed, but I can, same thing, I can work on the phone in those two states, and um, if I have an established relationship with a patient who has to go out of town, I can do that then, phone and Skype. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for this wonderful show and also just to reiterate that the tagline for the show is You Complete You, and you've given us really beautiful tools today. So thank you, Dr. Bonnie Comfort. Thank you for having me on again, Laura. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Feel Good Naked Radio with Laura Redmond. Please join us live again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be you and feel great in your own skin.